Good morning, everyone. My name is Alex Patterson, and I am the Executive Director of Canada 2020. And thank you very much for tuning in to the launch of our new series, which we're calling From Crisis to Resilience. Our goal over the next few weeks, as a second wave of the COVID-19 pandemic rolls across the country, is to better understand not just how our policymakers are responding right now, but also what's shaping their thinking for what comes next, what have we learned over the past eight months, and how we build resilience for the future. We will be doing interviews here on our YouTube page, as well as some in-depth podcast discussions over on the 2020 Network feed, which, if you're interested, subscribe and tell a friend. We're kicking off our series today in Ontario, Canada's biggest province with the largest and most complex health system in the country. As of yesterday, Ontario reported 827 new cases and lagging indicators like hospitalizations are on an uptick. Hotspots like Toronto, Peel, York, and Ottawa are in a modified phase two, with a watchful eye on other regions across the province. That's why I'm very pleased to welcome my guest today, the Honourable Christine Elliott, Deputy Premier of Ontario, Minister for Health and Long-Term Care, and Member of Provincial Parliament for the Good People of Newmarket Aurora. Minister Elliott, thank you very much for joining me today. It's a pleasure. Thank you very much, Alex. So we don't have long. I, I want to dive right in. And as I mentioned, the, the goal of this series is to be a little bit more reflective about the pandemic. What have we learned from it? How we see it shaping our policy and our politics for the days ahead? But I thought given your role, I would start by asking about the latest lay of the land in Ontario and what your government is doing to respond. Well, we anticipated, of course, that there would be a second wave of COVID, and we began planning for it during the course of the summer. And we drew up our, our fall preparedness plan, keeping Ontarians safe, um, based on uh, on six pillars, uh, including continuing to be very watchful and maintaining public health measures to uh, to respond, but also to be able to continue to uh, do these surgeries and procedures that we had to postpone during wave one and making sure that the hospitals and other health centers have the resources in order to do that. So that's a, a $2.8 billion plan that, that, that we are implementing. And uh, I can say to the other aspect of it was to have the largest uh, flu campaign uh, in Ontario's history. And so far we have been able to um, have over 800,000 Ontarians have received the vaccine, whereas at this point uh, last year it was 150,000. So Ontarians are responding in a in a very big way to that. Mm-hmm. Um, that's astounding, actually. Um, and it, you know, some have said that this pandemic is um, a sort of a great revealer about the way that our systems work. Uh, and at times how fragile they can be. So I'm interested in your view from where you sit, you know, what has this moment revealed about Ontario's health system? I would say that, first of all, we have amazing people working in our health system. Our frontline healthcare providers have been there every step of the way. They've gone into work despite the danger to themselves and their families. And of course, we're providing them with personal protective equipment. But in the early days, it was it was very frightening for them. But they came to work. And we want to uh, to support them. And also the people of Ontario have been amazing in their response too, both in terms of uh, following 
the public health measures that we've asked them to follow, but also in their support of the system and in helping us when we needed personal protective equipment. We have some auto parts manufacturers who redesigned the system so they could help manufacture ventilators. We've had distillers that have been producing hand sanitizer. Uh, we've been producing our own gowns and so on and masks. So that has hugely, hugely helped our health system. But I think the other aspect of it that, that we've seen is how we need to continue with the transformation that we started before COVID came along. So just with the creation of Ontario Health and not having 14 LINs anymore was helpful in being able to respond quickly with a, a, a pan-Ontario response to COVID-19, and it's shown us that we need to continue with that work. Mm -hmm. uh, in following up, we hear lots about the, the urgent need for, for greater resilience. I mean, it's one of the focuses of this series that we're doing here. Um, and, and that's, you know, in our societies, in our institutions, in our economy. I'm wondering from where you sit, what does greater resilience look like for you in, in, in the health system? I, I'm thinking about in our long-term care facilities. I'm thinking about, you know, across a very complex health system. Yes. What does greater resilience look like? Well, greater resilience, it can mean many things, but one is in the, the resilience and, and uh, ability of our system to be able to um, respond quickly. So we've invested in technology, uh, particularly in replacing the old IFA system with a new um, case and contact management system that connects the labs with what's happening out in the public health units. And that is uh, very helpful. It has allowed us to get rid of fax machines, at least in that part of the system. That was one of my goals when I became health minister was to do that. Um, but it also means that we also need to be resilient in the way that we deal with things like wait lists for surgeries. They're different in different hospitals across Ontario. We're starting to take more of a regional look at how that should be managed. And to, um, especially now when capacity is an issue in hospitals, to try and take a look at where we can concentrate cardiac surgeries, where they have those capabilities. Maybe they can trade off some of their orthopedic surgeries to other hospitals. It means doing things in a different way than they've always been done in healthcare. And uh, we need to respond to that, to respond to the changes in technology and bring Ontario into the 21st century. But it's also what people want. If they can get uh, a hip replacement at a hospital that's 10 kilometers away, maybe further away than their local hospital, but by the same surgeon, People say that they're willing to do that. So we need to, to listen to what people want and then respond with our system instead of having a system that generally worked the other way around where people had to fit themselves into the system. The system is, should be there for them when they need it, whatever their needs are. It's interesting. I mean, the, the pandemic has accelerated many changes in our lives, um, how we shop, how we learn, how we receive care in some cases. We focus a lot on the negative as as we should. Um, but what in your view, I mean, is, is a positive change and how do we harness that momentum? One very positive change is the uh, move to uh, virtual care. 
and to be allowing people to be able to contact their physician or healthcare provider um, by phone or sometimes with a video visit. Uh, that's what, again, what people have told us that they want to be able to make appointments or to receive um, mental health care. We invested about $28 million into that in the early stages of COVID because we knew that people needed to have those needs cared for as well. Um, that is something that we have dealt with. We've worked with physicians to do new codes for them so that they can be compensated for that. But that is something that people want. People don't have a lot of time um, to go and uh, make appointments and go and sit in, in physicians' offices for something that may be a very straightforward matter. So that, I think, is a very one positive that has come out of the, uh, the tragedy of COVID-19. I'm, I'm interested in um, how you and, and your, your team and, and, and government sort of assess some of the collateral damage around, um, around the pandemic. Uh, you know, things like mental health. I know mental health um, and, and addictions was a big part of your negotiations with the federal government around the, uh, the last uh, health transfer. So I, I'm interested in your approach to the, the, the sort of the, the blast radius, right? The outer rings of, um, uh, of this moment. Well, it's something that we do take into consideration when we're looking at the, um, the COVID dealing with the physical effects of COVID and, and making sure that we respond to that and have the hospital capacity and the, the uh, health human resources to be able to deal with that. But the mental health effects are very significant and we have to look at that as well uh, because as we get um, deeper and deeper into the second wave, we're finding that the requests for mental health assistance uh, are, are increasing rapidly. So we had released our uh, roadmap to wellness, our mental health and addiction strategy, just before COVID came to Ontario. And we started with a, a lot of the work that we wanted to do there, but it's just been made all the more urgent by the stresses that people are feeling as a result of COVID. First of all, I think being um, in their homes for long periods of time in the early months, not being able to go out, not being able to see family for many, many people. And then, of course, the, there's the stress because of some of the economic fallout with people having to close down their businesses for periods of time, worried that they're going to lose their businesses, restaurants and, and bars and uh, convention centers, uh, the, the list goes on and on. So we certainly are very cognizant of those issues and are releasing, uh, we have $176 million in, in assistance that uh, we are um, putting forward now to uh, help with children's mental health because children are feeling the effects of this as well, um, as well as adults. And so we uh, are grateful for the assistance that the federal government has provided us. And uh, we know that this is something that people need very much right now. Mm -hmm. Building off of that previously in your career, um, you worked as the Ontario patient uh, ombudsperson and um, I'm curious about how that role is is shaping your approach, uh, you know, as Ontario's Minister of Health, but particularly as Ontario's Minister of Health right now. 
Uh, that role was really important. It did have a major impact uh, on me. Uh, I didn't realize what I was going to be doing after that, but it certainly uh, um, gave me the opportunity to listen to, uh, to people going through our healthcare system and their families and to understand that uh, the, there were many parts of the system that weren't working for them and that we really didn't have a system that was based around the needs of the patient. It was more based around the needs of whatever facility you were dealing with, with hospitals, long-term care homes, home and community care, but it wasn't really facing the patient and what their needs were. And that, when you look at it through that lens, it gives you the ability to um, strip away some things that aren't really necessary, but also to concentrate on other areas. And so I think that um, trying now, as we are, to create an integrated system that helps the patient move through the system wherever their needs are, has been, uh, that's been invaluable for me uh, in, in doing the work that I am now. So that was really the impetus for the transformation that we started before COVID came along to connect all of those systems together and make it work for the patient. I- I'm going to ask a stock and trade Canada 2020 question now, um, because we tend to think a lot about the role of government that that occupies a lot of of the work that we do. Um, your party and, and government has sought in, in many ways to actually reduce the role of government in people's lives, keeping an eye on service delivery and spending. Um, I'm curious, has the pandemic and the ensuing and nested crises within it Made you revisit that, that that thought about the role of the state? Um, as far as uh, I see it through the health lens, and I mm-hmm. see it as uh, as an important responsibility of government to um, help uh, protect people in uh, times of crisis. And this is a crisis that's happening across the country. Um, Ontario has been uh, hard hit because it's the the most populous uh, province. We've got 14.5 million Ontarians. And that is uh, my responsibility as Minister of Health to um, to do whatever I can to protect the health and well-being of Ontarians. And I think that is a critical role that government needs to play, even though in an economic sense, in many ways, we have been trying to, to clear the way for businesses to do well, whether that's reducing red tape or some of the other provisions that, that we put into place. We know that businesses, um, they know what they're doing, that they can succeed if they have the right economic conditions um, for them. So we're trying to create those conditions so that businesses then can can go well and do well and, and prosper and employ people and we can have a, 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 a prosperous country. But definitely as far as health is concerned, I know that we continue to and always will have that responsibility to protect the health and safety of Ontarians. Um. I, I plan on asking uh, a version of this, I think, to to a number of the policymakers because I'm, I'm I think the answers are, are illustrative and, and revealing, obviously, about you know the the impact of this moment. But is there something that um, that the pandemic has has pushed from your agenda, from your government's agenda, um, or reframed or reshaped it as a result? Um, 
you know, you, you've, you've got a broad mandate as deputy premier of Ontario, but also specifically in the health space. Is there something that's been, you know, paused, delayed, canceled, reshaped as a result of the moment that we're in right now? We haven't paused anything. Some some issues have been delayed a bit just because of the focus we've had to have on uh, dealing with COVID. But I think what it has reinforced for us is the need to continue with uh, the work that we started as part of the health transformation, transforming our system into one that's truly patient-centered and one that is integrating all components of care. So before I became health minister, it always seemed to me from being on the outside that every year before every budget, it was almost a competition among the hospital sector, long-term care sector, and home care sector about who was going to win, so to speak, and, uh, and receive the financial benefits on an annual basis. That has really completely been changed because we now have those three groups working together in a way that um, hasn't happened in many years. At least that's what they tell me. They are all supporting each other, uh, both at the highest level through the, the CEOs and the work they're doing together, but also at the level of the community working with the local Ontario health teams that have been created that um, represent health providers in different geographic areas that come together to provide that level of integrated care for patients. So if they're leaving hospital, for example, by the time they go home and, and they need home care, they will know who the home care provider is, when they will be coming and what services they will be performing. That hasn't happened in the past. And so that, I think, is, is something that we really need to continue with because those are the providers. They know where the gaps in service are, and they are filling the gaps. They know better than Queen's Park knows about how to do that. And so they have been very um, responsive to COVID-19 in their communities because they already have that relationship formed. They already have that trust in each other. They already know who does what and what else needs to be done to fill in the gaps. So I think with any, as with anything, you, you learn something about the, uh, the system. We've learned a lot about the responsiveness of Ontario Health and the local Ontario Health teams. And that's something that we want to move forward with as, as quickly as we can. I've got one minute left with you here, and I don't want to let you go without asking uh, just about relationship with the federal government and, and health transfers. Um, you, Ontario last signed a health agreement as of uh, January 2019. Um, there were calls for targeted investments, as we mentioned, in areas like mental health and addiction services. As you think about future agreements and how this crisis will inform them, um, what would you like to see new federal dollars invest in? I, you know, in the past, the provinces have agreed to certain conditions for funding. So what are some specific investments um, that your government actually would be willing to discuss with the federal government to address Ontarians' unmet health needs? Well, first, I'd like to say that we've had uh, a great relationship with the federal government. They've been very responsive to Ontario's needs, and the uh, the money that has come forward for mental health is is 
badly needed and is being put to very good use. Um, but what I would say going forward is that we are seeking an increase in the overall Canada health transfers to Ontario, that uh, we're looking for um, a 35% contribution. It's uh, it's lower than about 20% right now. So that would help us in many different areas, including our response to long-term care. That's not part of my file right now, but I know that we need assistance there. And for a number of other general areas where we where we need help. So that would be our ask. Uh, the federal government is certainly aware of that. And we are trying to work with them to, to get the health transfer to that level. Minister Elliott, thank you so much for uh, joining us today. Um, we really appreciate your time. Um, and uh, I will, uh, I'll be, I'm sure if we receive lots of questions, we'll be sending them uh, your office's way. And we'd love to keep the dialogue open if you're, if you're open to that. Wonderful. Well, thank you very much, Alex. It was it really was a pleasure to join you today. And um, I hope we will have a, an opportunity to speak again later. Thanks very much. And thank you very much, everyone, for tuning in. We'll be back uh, next week with a, uh, another interview.